There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as cyberspace and as timeless as an RSS feed. It is the middle ground between radio and podcasting, between science and making shit up. This is the dimension of audio entertainment. It is an area we call Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots. Hello, welcome to Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, our podcast look at sci-fi of yesteryear. Hi, Admiral, how are you doing? I just came up with that just on the spur of the moment, because I didn't know (laughs) what I was going to say. Ah, this Uh, week, Lost in Space. The pain, the pain, the pain, the pain. I had such good memories of this show. Yeah, me too. Such good memories. Obviously not from 1965, but it used to be on TV here. And I, I remember watching it. And it being fine, not having a single problem, and then, oh, it's unwatchable now. Yeah, it's, oh. You know, this was the show that kind of gave me the idea for the show that gave us the idea for this one, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, because I was, a a few years back, I tried to rewatch Lost in Space and had about the same experience we both just had which is that it is dreadful and uh you know when i was eight years old seven eight nine years old whatever uh and i have never been a morning person even as a kid um you know i like i like to sleep in when i can um i would get up an hour early for school every day because one of our local stations ran reruns of lost in space at 6 a.m and so I would get up early so I could be ready for school in time that I could watch Lost in Space. And so I, I was like, oh, yay, I can, you know, thank thank you, wonderful internet, I can go back and relive my childhood. Yeah. And, you know, people that say that George Lucas ruined their childhoods have no idea. <laughs> yeah. This, I, it's, well, I... I, I was going to say it's indescribably bad, but if that was true, then we've got a very boring hour of podcasting <laughs> yeah. coming up. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got plenty of adjectives for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I really honestly had trouble getting through a single episode. I I tried. I mean, I started with the pilot because that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, clearly, the black and white ones didn't get much rerunning over here because no. I'd, I'd never seen one before. Um. And it was just, it's unwatchable. You, you, I couldn't get through any of it. And even the ones that I've watched specifically for this podcast, were, it hurt. And yeah. I, I have to admit, I might have drifted at some point. Yeah, I, I might have been sitting here playing solitaire on my tablet while, <laughs> while the shows were running as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was doubly painful because on the one hand, they're just they're just bad to watch. They're just stupid, bad television. And on the other hand, my inner nine-year-old was just weeping <laughs> at, at how how much it was shredding my memories. Um, and yet this show has a, a 7.2 rating on IMDb. That baffled the shit out of me because when I, you know, when... Okay, so the initial plan, folks, was that we were going to do like we did with The Twilight Zone, which was watch an entire season. And we figured, okay, well, we'll start with the first season. That's the the logical place to start. And I watched the pilot, 
which was very different from the the, the show, but then that's not uncommon in pilots. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 elements were there. Uh, the ship had a different name. Doctor Smith and the robot weren't there. Uh, you know, it had a very. They were trying to recreate the Swiss Family Robinson only in space, and so it was very much about the family dynamic. And no, there was no sinister, uh, you know, sabotaging of the ship or whatever. And there was a lot of of uh, Professor Robinson writing in a journal about what's going on. And I, I, you know, it was it was very obvious that they were trying to do this. You know, it's always been called the Space Family Robinson. Hmm. Um. But they were going for a much more direct connection to the Swiss family Robinson. Uh, and between the pilot and the, the, the first episode, there were a lot of changes made. Um, now, er, the, okay. I, I would assume that anybody listening to us knows what Lost in Space is. But if you don't and you're listening, uh, Lost in Space was an Irwin Allen, who is a name that's a name that I'm sure will come up many times on this show. Oh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I have great dread for the other shows of his that I used to like as a kid. Um, it 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 was pitched in 1964 uh, as it, it's the, the Robinson family: Professor John Robinson, his wife Maureen, his daughters Penny and Judy, and their son Will Robinson. Who, even if you don't know the show, you know the name Will Robinson. Um. You know that 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 has kind of become part of the the the, the world's cultural touchstones. I think, uh, especially when you attach the name da- the word danger to yeah. the name. Yeah. Um, and they were just they were a, a they were a, a family of explorers leave, going to colonize a planet orbiting Alpha Centauri, uh, and they their ship goes horribly off course, and then they are, as the title says, lost in space. Um. So the I found that the the pilot was an unbelievably dull, um, lackluster sort of thing. Even given that this took place in the in you know in the time before space travel, so they were still in that that same zone where the Twilight Zone was, where uh, you know even just going into orbit was a mystery. Um, you know some of the things they did really well. The whole did did you get through the pilot? Um, most of it. Okay. You know the the whole mission control thing was pretty cool. Yeah. Now this was this was incredibly expensive, especially for 1963. There were millions spent on this pilot. Um, and uh, you know the the ship was really neat. The launch sequence was really cool. Uh, one thing Irwin Allen shows, for the most part, do really well are there is their miniature work. Um. Some yeah. of Lost in Space effects don't hold up, but like if I think think back to, have you ever seen Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea? Uh, yeah um i you know as cheesy as their plots were their the the sea view effects were awesome i i must admit that voice to the bottom of the seat didn't ever grab me as much i i don't know that i've ever sat through a whole one um but i do remember it being on tv mm-hmm. that was another favorite of mine and that's another Irwin allen show and uh well, that's Actually, I didn't realize that Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea predated Lost in Space. I thought that it came much later. And the Time Uh, Tunnel as well, which was the other one. That one I have seen quite a few episodes of, yeah. I'm I'm just looking through his uh, list now. Although, hang on. No, this is odd. It's all over the place. Um, 
time tunnel is dated as 66 to 67, 30 episodes, but it comes up before Lost in Space, which is 65 to 68. Yeah. Uh, it must be listed by the year that they finish then, rather than the year that they start. Mm. Um, oh, so in fact, they were doing time tunnel while Lost in Space was going on. Okay. Alan was very busy. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Now, the one of the, the, the more depressing trivia bits about Lost in Space, although I don't, I don't think it really matters in the long run, is that CBS passed on Star Trek in favor of Lost in Space. At least now we, we know that and Star Trek happened. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the end of the world for us. No. In True. fact, the day that we're recording this, I just read Leonard Nimoy tweeting that 50 years ago today, they just started shooting the Star Trek pilot. Wow. So Wow, I missed that. Yeah, so that happened. So we, we can't <laughs> feel bad that Lost in Space happened as well, I suppose, but even so, it was... God, it was horrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm just... I'm just left... Ah, oh, like, that was the thing. Like, oh, and we'll we'll get to the real detail about it. Uh, in a bit, but God, no, it's just horrible. I have nothing good to say. Nothing. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Well, I, I have a few good things to say. Um, I, I think I think probably if Lost in Space hadn't been the success, we might not have had Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, because NBC went, hey, Lost in Space is doing really really well. Uh, you know that, and 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 uh, Lucille Ball you know, putting her clout behind it. But I think that, I think the fact that Lost in Space was doing well at the time that Gene Roddenberry pitched it to NBC uh, may have helped in actually getting the show picked up and getting a second pilot made. Well, Um, then we'll thank it for that, but... Yeah. And the robot. Now, the robot, Uh, while it, it was very bad, and this, this fits into the category of stuff I could do better now. You know, I, I joke that a lot with various things. Like, oh, me and Barkley could make something better than that. No, I really think, in the case of a lot of things in Lost in Space, me and Barkley could do a better job. Oh, yeah. And the, the robot, whilst fitting into that category of things, is so iconic and so ingrained in various different things uh, throughout popular culture. It, it's just a very important character in things. I, I suppose for any diehard sci-fi fan, you've got to have seen some of this. The question is, is it too late now? Like, maybe if you had to watch it 20 years ago, you could have put up with it. But now, it is unwatchable, so... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could recommend to it. I, I, could, I would go as far as to recommend that you attempt to watch this. If j- just for the sake of completeness, it, yes, it's, it's like reading, you know, uh, there must be some Shakespeare plays that are considered rubbish compared to others. Oh, I can tell you a few offhand. Yeah, yeah I think much but, ado about nothing is garbage, in my opinion. But so. th- there'll be people who've read and analyzed those bad plays every bit as much as they have the good ones. Mm-hmm. And And for those people with that mindset, if you're sort of that way but sci-fi inclined, then attempt to watch Lost in Space. You should see it, because there's lots of important stuff in there. 
but unless you care about that feeling of completion of having seen everything that could possibly be deemed important, then you're probably <laughs> not going to get through this, and I don't blame you. Yeah, it's, well, and, and I, I will say, uh, and I think without fear of, of contradiction, that there are a lot of people out there who are far less picky than you and I are, who would probably enjoy Lost in Space, would be able to, uh, you know, shut off or, or have a, a much stronger willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I suppose. I mean, the, the real problem for me, it, it's an extremely kitsch thing. Yeah. It really is. I mean, talk about ray guns and go-go boots. This is the <laughs> <Yeah>. show. <laughs> you know, they're all wearing brightly colored jumpsuits. It's so clearly the 60s. Yeah. And, and the science is appalling. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I noted in the, the uh, trivia for this show, uh, they, they tried to get on side with NASA. And NASA were actually quite enthusiastic about being involved until they figured out what the TV show producers had planned. And then they basically couldn't distance, distance themselves enough from it. Like, yeah. Stop telling people this is real, please. Okay. It, um, I, I know you didn't get this far, but in the third episode, one of the, the big plot points, one of the big tension moments is a comet is about to pass too close to the Jupiter 2. And the heat from the comet is going to fry the ship. It's the spaceship. Why did they not move the spaceship? Well, that that was part of the part of the problem was that uh, John and Maureen were stuck outside the ship after a twenty minute long catch the rope sequence that made me want to pull my eyes out. But comets aren't hot. No, they comets aren't. Comets aren't even remotely hot. In fact, they're the opposite of hot. They're ice. They're snow. They're a big snowball. <laughs> I did get that far. You've just re- yes, I remember the the pushing the rope. Yeah, <laughs> episode. Because <laughs> I did, uh, did. Am I right in thinking that they out of the pilot episodes? Because there were two. There were lots of. There was a lot of film there, and a lot of it was chopped up into making various episodes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in the in the pilot, the plan was. And and what happened was the Jupiter two cra- or the Gemini twelve I think is what they called it in the pilot, um, yeah Gemini twelve they crash on a planet and they're stuck there and then the plan was for them to be on the planet the whole time, and so they get to the they they land on this planet after going through this meteor shower, um, and then they're they're driving around and they run into these giant cyclops monsters that look like they're made out of old carpet, uh, and they 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 happily kill them. <laughs> uh with their their laser beams oh i've i have noticed dubious morals about this family throughout episodes <laughs> and and the other guy what's his name major don major west yeah major no, west yeah major west don yeah not very advanced morals for no. supposedly futuristic group of people but anyway <laughs> Although it was it was funny, the uh, I, I watched a, a a show last night that was a, a special that was done back in, back when the movie came out. Uh, that was kind of a retrospective hosted by John LaRiquette of all people uh, and the robot. And there were some interviews, and one of the things that uh, that uh, Don Goddard, Mark Goddard, sorry, uh, who played uh, Major West, uh, said was that there was supposed to be this re- this romantic relationship between him and Judy. Uh, but because it was supposed to be a kid's show, they never got to do anything much more than hold hands every now and then. Uh, 
And yet they were perfectly fine with lasering giant monsters whose only crime was being where they wanted to drive through. Yeah, the, the, just, I mean, in the, uh, into the Dalek, sorry. <laughs> that it, is exactly why I suggested we watch that in, one. <laughs> into the robot episode. <laughs> when, trip when, through the robot. Trip through the robot. When it's shrinking and, and Dr. Smith's stuck and they're just like, leave him. Yeah. What? What? Yeah, leave him. Let him be crushed to death horribly. That'd be fine. I'm fine with that. Can we leave him? Yeah, let's leave him. What? <laughs> what? That You know, even as a kid, I never understood why they put up with Smith as long as they did. I mean, uh, you know, leave him on a planet, but leave him to die? That just seems a little bit unnecessary. To be honest. Oh, oh, you mean when, when Wes said leave him? Yeah, Wes yeah. always hated Smith. Yeah. Just let him die. Let him die. And just the ease and casualness with which he says that. Just, oh, fuck him. Come on. <laughs> I mean, what? That's not very nice at all, Major West. Yeah. Well, part of the part, part of the problem, the, and the, the, um, well, let, let's go back to the cast because it's, it's kind of important to put this into, into a, uh, a historical context. Um, you know, the cast of Lost in Space to us, we, we know them as the cast of Lost in Space, but at the time, this was kind of the equivalent of putting some really big names onto the bridge of the Enterprise. Right. Um, okay. Mark Goddard, or, uh, I'm sorry. Um, Mark, yeah, Mark Goddard, who played, uh, Professor John, uh, Major John, uh, I just, why did I just blank it? Robinson. Professor, Professor John Robinson. Guy Williams. The leader of Professor John Robinson. Where did I say Mark? Yeah, Guy Williams. Derp. Okay. Let's try that again. (laughs) Okay. Guy Williams was a big name. He had played Zorro on TV for a long time. Uh, Disney had a, a, a series of Zorro, uh, Oh yeah, uh, not just movies, but a TV series. Yep. And Guy Williams was Zorro. He was he was uh, Don Diego, and so putting him in charge of this show was a big was a big move. And getting him in, it was you know it would be like the equivalent of of uh, you know uh, uh, George Clooney today, I think. And uh, and um, you know, here's the problem. I'm looking at the wiki thing, and it's listing all the secondary characters actors and not let's oh there they are okay and june lockhart was equally huge she had been the mom on lassie which i don't know if that show ever made it over there um, um may maybe i La- lassie's a dog watch. yeah i'm i'm familiar with lassie and and the oh, movies okay. but i don't know if the tv show ever made it over here yeah it um you know she was she was the mom on lassie which made her you know huge as well um and then apparently Angela Cartwright, who played Penny, who is the sister of um Oh hell, I'm blanking on her name. She played the the the, the woman who played Lambert in Alien. Oh right. uh, is oh, her sister. Right. And I actually see the resemblance. Yeah. Uh um Marta Kristen, who played Judy, had been uh, big on Broadway and I guess had been around. Mark Goddard had been on lots of like cop shows and stuff uh and even bill Mooney or billy Mooney at the time uh was not unfamiliar to people he'd, he'd been you know a child actor long before lost in space so this was this was a, a an a-list cast for this show um and you had the the writing and i don't know if we can blame this on the times or what i i mean they tried to be serious in the first season mm. and it was just so dreadfully dull and plodding and stupid um, you know, I, I, 
I watched the first three episodes and then about the time you said, I just can't cope with this, I would have been trying to to work up the fortitude to watch another episode for about three days. Uh so I you know, when you <laughs> when you were like, I can't deal with this, I was like, Yes, let's just not watch the entire thing. Okay. Yeah, it, it just got too much. I think I got to about episode three myself, and it was just a case of I'm I am not going to make it through the rest of these, yeah, at all. Um, but the the cast were I mean having got no connection to them myself through having not seen them in other things, I I didn't think any of them were that great, you know. I mean, we June Lockhart, we Alison and I have spent th- three or four episodes tonight trying to figure out how old she was. Um, only to sit and work it out and find out she was about Alison's age when she was in Lost in Space. Yeah. And yet she looks and moves like my mum. Mm-hmm. Like a woman sort of 20, 25 years older than she is. It's very odd. Um, she's, she looks a lot older than she is. And so does, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Goddard as well. He just seems especially in the, the colour series, none of them look that good for a big TV show. Which is not to criticise people for the way they look. They're just not stereotypically pretty television people. Well, that might be more a matter of our own uh, prejudices, because people on TV now, like, I've started watching Arrow. I don't mm. know if you've seen any of that, but so far, it's really good. Everybody on the show is like so impossibly gorgeous that it it sometimes it pulls me out of it. I'm like, you are just too goddamn pretty. <laughs> um, and that that's that's more of a modern thing, I think. That that's sort of a direction that television has drifted toward is the 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 almost preternaturally gorgeous people on the screen. I I I, I see what you're saying. Um, I'm, I'm not really criticizing them for not being really good looking or anything like that. It's just unexpected to me. And it, it doesn't seem to quite fit in with other things around it. Um, I mean, like we were saying in the last episode in, uh, about the Twilight Zone, we'd often see a large age difference between men and women in couples. Yeah. And in this, it's, it's actually not the case. There's literally less than a year between Guy Williams and Gene Lockhart in real life, um, and and so it's it didn't quite fit. It's a bit jarring. She looks a lot older than she is anyway. Um, I I kind of feel like they didn't. Hmm, none of them seem to fit in into the like. Why were they in space? Why them? It it didn't seem to make sense at all. There, there was a lot of what's the right way of putting it the women were useless generally oh yeah yeah that that was one thing i hadn't noticed as a kid but it's like they they make a point of saying that maureen robinson has a phd in in uh um uh, microbiology or, or some biological field and then they spend the entire series doing laundry and making dinner and, and that's basically it yeah, but, but, and there were times when they were when like they were screaming at Doctor Smith to do something, and he wouldn't move. And Maureen's standing right next to him, and we're like, "If he's not going to do it, you do it." And and she just just doesn't do anything until uh, John Robinson tells her to. Hmm. 
Um, I, I just felt all the way through, like, for a family who were supposed to be these intrepid explorers, they're going out to find a place for us to move to once the Earth is dead or whatever it was. And they seem wildly underprepared for that. Yeah. Well, the, I, uh, you know, part of the the setup was that they weren't really supposed to be doing much of anything. That's why Don was along. That's why, why uh, Don West was along. Is that, you know, the, the family were supposed to stay in suspended animation until they got to the planet orbiting Alpha Centauri. And Don was there to pilot the ship. And then when everything went tits up, then suddenly they had to, to do stuff they weren't qualified for. Uh, so that part of it never really bothered me. Um, okay. But the, the uselessness of the women really got, it, it got under my skin right away. Uh, you know, I know that this is, you know, 1965 and 66 or whatever, and, and, uh, and, you know, there it was a much different dynamic between men and women. But, you know, people bitch about the sexism in, in Star Trek all the time, but it was nowhere near as bad as this. No, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, with, with, with Star Trek, at least you've got, you've got strong female characters, specifically like Uhura. And mm-hmm. we get plenty of examples as to why Uhura is more than just uh, the woman who answers the phone. There's plenty of examples of that uh, yeah. scattered throughout the series, and, and more so throughout the films. Um, there were very few, no examples, in fact, that I saw of any of the women on this trip having a reason to be on this trip. And it was kind of like. Poor writing slash misogynistic writing to the point of absurdity. Like yeah. You've written these women to be so useless. Not only is it just mean to them, but you've made them so useless. There's no justifiable reason as to why you would send these women on a trip of this nature. E- even if they weren't already a family, y- you'd send other women that were far more qualified in dangerous situations or at least emergencies than any of these three. Yeah. Now, granted, one of them's a little girl, so there is that. Um, but other than that, I mean, the whole thing's weird. It just, it, none of it makes sense to me. <laughs> well, and, and we've also, we've missed the, the two most popular characters in the show, uh, which are Will Robinson, played by Bill Mooney, who, uh, you know, he was the, 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 the prototype for Wesley Crusher. Oh, God, did um, I want to punch him in the face inside 30 <laughs> seconds of him being on screen? And it, I think that was, I think that was sort of the pilot or the, the second pilot when he's just moaning at Dr. Smith and just moan, and it's that high pitched voice and everything. Just shut up. <laughs> but he didn't. He carried on and became a lead character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. A precursor for. Uh, Wesley Crusher. Now, did you did you dislike Wesley when you watched him the first time, or did you identify with him? Neither. He was just Neither? there. Okay. okay. I I didn't uh, get onto the whole like, oh, he's a kid on the Enterprise. I'm a kid. I could be on the Enterprise. Bit of it that never once occurred to me. Okay. See, Will Robinson was me, you know, or or I was Will Robinson in my head. Right. Okay. Uh, and so it never even dawned on me to be annoyed by him. And, and, and even watching it this time, uh, you know, there were a lot of times I was like, oh, you stupid fuck. You were supposed to, you know, they told you not to go there and you did anyway, but that was kind of, 
you know, they needed somebody to get into trouble because the women never left the damn ship. Um, yeah, there were plants to be grown and dinner to be made. and Exactly. And and laundry. To, yeah, oh, man. It just pisses me off when I think about it. Well, when you've um, all only got one outfit, there's a lot of laundry to be done. <laughs> yeah. We never cut to the bit of the evening where everyone's just sat in their pants because they're having their one jumpsuit washed. <laughs> I was kind of glad when they when they finally got out of those those uh, tin foil outfits that they wore through most of the first season, though. Yeah, they they I, do go through some radical costume changes. I kind of like this look. I want to wear a big V neck jumper with a proper collared shirt underneath. It, it, it's something you just don't see enough of these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the 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 biggest change that the that the uh, the network made when they took the when they bought the pilot was they wanted somebody to be the the the, the villain, and so they added Doctor Smith. And again, he is he is Will Doctor Smith and the robot became, uh, you know, the spine of the show, and you know most people, if you say. Doctor Smith. That e- even if they don't know the show, they'll they'll know that it's you know some some asshole who messes things up. Yeah, hangs around creepily with a small boy. A yeah, robot a lot. Although probably the, not through choice. N- no. <laughs> in the initial series, uh, in the in the in the second pilot and through the first season, he was an actual bona fide villain. Uh, you know, he was working for some shadowy foreign agency uh trying to sabotage the mission and ended up screwing up and getting stuck on the ship uh you know he had pre- he was programming the program the robot to destroy the ship and then he ended up getting stuck in the ship at launch and then so he had to stop the robot from destroying it uh and he was a much more nefarious character but for some reason he became far too popular with the audiences and so they started focusing more on him and Will and the robot because those were the, you know, they that was the 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 data Picard Riker kind of triumvirate there. And uh about the same about the the end of the the first season uh Batman, the the 60s Batman series became a huge hit. Right. And that's when all of the bigwigs went this show is not doing as well as we think it it should, and you're it's way too serious, and we want you to do that. <laughs> and that's when it started getting not just stupid, but campy as well. It kind of amazes me that they did that and got away with it at all. Yeah. Let alone got two more series out of it. Um, I mean, can you just imagine, just pick any TV show you're currently watching that is a series show and just imagine if it came back as a camp comedy. Yeah. You know, that, that, there's nothing you'd continue watching like that, yet they did it, and it, they got away with it. Yeah, it worked, which is... I think it, it's it's kind of... Uh, oh, I don't know. Telling of how TV was back then. You know, well, I mean, the, the fact that Batman worked is still kind of a mystery for folks. Uh, you know, so... Other shows copying it, it I, I don't suppose it's as baffling. Uh, I mean, you know, watching as much of the first season as we did, I'm I'm not surprised that a major retooling was done. No, me either. It, uh, it, you know, it, it needed something. Oh yeah, I mean, you, you uh, 
the second episode called the reluctant stowaway where they where they uh where they brought smith in um yeah let me look at my notes here no it's the third episode derelict because it, it, you know they did that they started doing that the the cliffhanger at the end of each episode uh where you know they would get into some contrived danger and then they you know to be continued next week same time same channel and so the end of the second episode john robinson had to go out and fix an antenna and so he's out in their spacesuits which consisted of putting on a helmet and gloves <laughs> and uh you know and he starts things start going wrong and he's floating around and he can't get back to the ship and then then they realize that they're about to pass by the comet that's going to fry them um and so Maureen goes out there, and it went on forever. I mean, it must have been a good ten minutes of her just trying to get him to catch this rope. Uh, and all of these these close-ups of him in the helmet reaching out to nothing and grasping and, and being upside down and stuff. And, I mean, I know that we're used to a much faster pace now of uh, of shows and movies and things, but I can't imagine that was anything other than boring even then. No, I, I totally agree with you. But th- but then I, I I I have the same problem understanding how it was ever watchable, even then. So m- maybe it was just fine. Are we? Maybe this is something we're going to come up against time and time again as we watch more stuff. Just it will be much more slowly paced than we're used to. I I, I we must keep uh, keep that in mind, I suppose. Yeah, and see if it works out like that. I suppose you know, but I, 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 you know, I watch stuff like uh, Silent Running. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, it's a classic, and rightfully so. But it, it moves very slowly. Um, it's a, it's Bruce Dern in one of his first starring roles. Uh, Laura Dern's father. If <laughs> yeah, she, um, and he's on a giant spaceship that's in orbit. Earth is dead, and so they sent forests up into orbit in this giant spaceship it's got these various pods it's got various different ecosystems in them and there's three astronauts on board keeping track of them and two of the guys are just you know bros and then you've got bruce Dern, who's this sort of introspective hippie and then things go weird and there's three little robots and and uh uh he kind of goes nuts and, and people get killed and then eventually the the robots get it, it's uh, it, it's kind of hard to talk about without spoiling. Okay. Uh, and I don't want to spoil it because it's a really good movie. It's a classic for a good reason. It's It, it endures. It's called Silent Running. Uh, if you haven't seen it, as a science fiction fan, you owe it to yourself to watch it. But it's very slow. It takes a long time to get where it's going. You know, and that's just the way things were done then. Uh, Logan's Run is the same way. You know, it, it there's they just didn't. That whole kind of uh, MTV video, super fast cuts, no scene lasting more than two or three seconds thing hadn't happened yet. Um, so I I get that, but I think even even by that standard, some of this stuff in early Lost in Space is just we've got to fill forty minutes, and we haven't got forty minutes of script, so we want you guys to just sort of be lost for a while, wandering around in this alien maze, yelling for each other. <laughs> There's so much of that stuff. They, I, I think you're right. I think they were clearly just padding it out. Yeah. Because it, it's not that well written. And it, it doesn't... I mean, th- this was another thing. It doesn't deal with issues in any way at all. Certainly not like Star Trek. I've started in my mind comparing it to original series Star Trek. 
which is never slow like this is. No. And generally deal, I mean, what, this is one of the beautiful things about Star Trek is that it does deal with issues. I mean, it's, it's real world issues set in the universe of Star Trek, which is mainly what I think science fiction is for, for taking real life problems and moving them away to deal with them uh, in a more interesting way. And it doesn't do that. It's just lots of collections of silly stories. Today we'll meet the carrot person and things like that. It's just full of little bits of stuff. And so there's nothing much to write about. Yeah, there's lots of sort of concept episodes. Let's make it so the robot's big and we can walk around inside it. What happens? Nothing much. Yeah. Just, we'll make a big robot set. I mean, granted, that set was pretty cool, especially for 1965. Make a giant inside of a robot, but... It wasn't on its side. <laughs> and, you know, if uh, you know when it, it's funny, I remember the episode that the, the robot was standing up when they went inside, which would have made a lot more sense for the, the, the way things were run. But, you know, I, I chose this episode for a couple of reasons. One is it, it's one of the ones that I remember. Um, but also because of the recent Doctor Who Into the Dalek uh, episode. Uh, both of them had the same problem of you're putting people in a in a place where no one is ever meant to be, and yet you've got rooms and floors and walls and and uh, you know it it uh, like in in enter the, in into the Dalek when the when the episode started and they went in through the Dalek's eye stalk and there was a floor that they could walk on going down the length of the eye stalk. And I'm like, shouldn't that just be a tube? Yeah. And I know, you know, I know that that's kind of nitpicky stuff, but it's the kind of stuff that, that pulls me out of the story. And no, the I, trip through the, hmm? I, I was just going to say, I had exactly the same issue. You know, aside, you know, never mind the fact that <laughs> this area of the planet affected the robot's ion flow and made him huge. <laughs> Yeah, that's just made up. I don't even know what <laughs> yeah. that is. But, I mean, at least with the Dalek one, they made everybody little to go into the regular-sized Dalek. And I can handle yeah. that a lot more than the robot got big. Because, <laughs> do you know what? It wouldn't even work anymore then. How, how much of a computer, especially the processor, is based on the resistivity of, of the materials it's made of, capacitance and, and all kinds of things, dependent on the size of the components? If you just made everything proportionately larger, it wouldn't work. No. It no. certainly wouldn't work in exactly the same way with no modifications as it does when it's tiny. I mean, you know, processor manufacturers talk about the... I think they're down to sort of 14 nanometer uh, switches inside processors now. There's 3 yeah. billion transistors in an iPhone 6 processor. And that's the size of my little fingernail. And you couldn't just make a big one and it'd be all right. Yet, there we are. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't make a big one and just go and walk around in it. That's not how it works. No, and and then all you have to do is reverse the polarity on something and he'll get small again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to give them credit for when, when the robot was shrinking back to normal size, they, you know, they... They they at least made an attempt to sort of simulate that by just moving shit closer together. <laughs> but you know, what? all of those tape drives inside the robot that what that, do those look like when they're tiny? That annoyed <laughs> me so much. Why would you have tape drives inside it that were tiny? 
What, yeah. That made no sense whatsoever. They they shouldn't be there. And again, that's something that probably wouldn't work the same way if you just made it bigger all of a sudden. Yeah. The robot would cease to function. So much. Um, and and to be honest, I think they left it way too late for Will Robinson to get out. He would have been killed inside. Yeah. Which I think but- would have again broken the robot. <laughs> probably yeah if nothing else the blood would have shorted out his circuits or mm-hmm. something at least dr smith and will robinson didn't become big for the same imaginable reason <laughs> yeah, i guess their uh their their ion flow was was not affected by the area of the what do they call it the valley of shadows something like that i mean what what yeah. was that i, d- I didn't I... even get to understand why was that area the valley of shadows and did they make the sign and put it up there, or did someone else do that, <laughs> or what? There, yeah, and, were, and, uh, <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they just decided there's a sign there that says dangerous, and the Robinsons read it and didn't and knew it was dangerous, even though that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Because there was a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, that just for when the the whole thought of this is an alien planet. Humans have never been here before, but you can go fishing, that's alright. And there are fish, as you know them, and you can eat them, and catch them in exactly the same way, because life throughout the universe is identical. Brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. E- even the, um, the, the Vegetable Rebellion episode with Dr. Smith, just, oh, I'll just go down to this planet and pick flowers, that'll be fine, nothing will happen. That's, that's fine. Yeah, I love how they 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 won't land the ship because it'll eat uh, eat up too much fuel. But but Smith takes the pod down with no problem. That didn't bother me, actually, because I kind of thought, well, the f- maybe the pod has its own fuel that can fly back up to the ship. I kind of let him get away with that. Yeah, I was more upset by the man in the carrot outfit. <laughs> yeah, did you recognize him? By the way, no. Was he a person that I should have recognized? Cyrano Jones. No. Yeah. Wow, I didn't recognize him as a carrot. <laughs> I, I think you can be forgiven, Matt. Um, now, it was the voice that, you know, I, I recognized right away. Um, Cyrano Jones is the man who sold the Enterprise crew Tribbles, folks. Um, he is indeed in a see, much see better role. With, yeah. <laughs> see the trouble with Tribbles or Trials and Tribulations uh, from DS9. Um, you'll you'll see him, and you'll be very glad that he's not wearing a carrot suit. You know, it's it's kind of acknowledged that uh, the veg the Great Vegetable Rebellion, or is it great, or just the Vegetable Rebellion, is probably top of the heap for stupidest Lost in Space episodes, if not stupidest episodes of anything ever. Uh, well, it, it's, and it's made my list of stupidest episodes of anything ever. It's, yeah. a, it's a list with that and Spock's brain written on it. <laughs> that that's They're the two things. I think I will, you know, this list will grow the more we do this show, but they're, they're the two things on it so far. And I, I was sat there thinking, we found another Spock's brain. That's what this is. Yeah. It's 45 minutes of, how did this get made? Well, according to... The, the 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 Lost in Space Forever was the name of the special I watched last night. Um, 
they were interviewing Jonathan Harris, who played Dr. Smith, and he said that Peter Packer, who was the guy that wrote the episode, and I, if that's not a stage name, then he I hope he slapped his parents a few times for naming him that. Um, apparently, he went up to Harris and said, I can't believe we're actually doing this, but I'm out of ideas, and we're going to film this episode. And uh, Harris read it and was like, are you, you know, are you shitting me? Not in so many words, but, um, you know, and so I think they all knew how utterly ludicrous it was, but they were, you know, it was a weekly TV series. It was an expensive TV series. And if you followed the making of Star Trek at all, um, you know, read, read, if you've read any, have you read any of the, the, the making of Star Trek books? Um, I've read the Shatner ones. Okay, but that's been. Uh, if if you can find them uh, in the in the audiobook format, uh, I I know that the uh, Bob Justman and uh, Herb Solo book, uh, I think it's called As It Was or How It Was or something like that, uh, is out on audiobook. Um, d- despite all the intrigue and 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 uh, uh, shenanigans that went on backstage, the the world of making episodic television in the '60s was very very stressed. And they were putting out, you know, and I'm sure Lost in Space had the same problem, you know, trying to get a, a special effects heavy show like like Lost in Space or Star Trek out in a, in 10 days, which is how much time they had, was uh, a, a Herculean feat. That's why they, these shows were so expensive. Um, and so if you came up to the deadline and you didn't have a script, you went with what you could come up with. Uh, and, I, you know, Star Trek suffered from that more than once. Uh, but they always managed to kind of I think they they had the advantage of the genius of Roddenberry, uh, which I know a lot of people will watch the original series and and question that phrase, but a lot of times Roddenberry would take a really crappy script and turn it into something that was at least tolerable. And Lost in Space didn't have the advantage of of a Roddenberry. They had Irwin Allen, who liked making little bitty spaceships and stuff. Yeah. And so you get... The Vegetable Rebellion. And, you you know, I, the thing I remember about that episode from a kid is just, moisture, I need moisture. And, and my, my brother and I used to kid around about that when we were, when we were younger. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of lost with this now. It's, it's so... Oh, have you seen the film? Yes, I have. I tried to watch it before we recorded tonight. Uh, but I couldn't find it streaming, and I wasn't all that fussed to go and track it down in any other way. Uh, I saw it when it came out. I haven't seen it since. I, I saw it in the theaters. Um, in fact, I went and saw it with my friend Corey, who I think listens to the show. Hi, Corey. Um, and <laughs> Corey is one of those wonderful people. She's a priest now. Uh, she's a, a Presbyterian priest, I think. And if I got that wrong, please don't. Well, you, 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 you're supposed to forgive, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she, she's one of those people that anytime I start getting unreasonably negative about something, she would just kind of, if not physically slap me, she would just sort of, you know, well, I think you're being unfair and stuff. And so I would usually have a lot more fun at stuff when I was with her. And, uh, and I, I enjoyed it. I had problems with the ending, as I recall. But there were enough little nods. I think June Lockhart shows up in it at one point. Uh, you know, the voice of the robot is the same guy that voiced the robot originally. They're, they're pretty uh, much all in it. Just glancing at the, the Wikipedia now. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, in, in one way or another. Uh, Mark Goddard plays the military general who gives Major Wesley's orders for the mission. Uh, June Lockhart played the principal of Will Robinson's school. Angela Cartwright and Marsha Christian appeared as reporters. Um, yeah, so I think everyone who was still alive at time of making the film hmm. was pretty much in it. I didn't ever have a problem with it. It was panned. It didn't do well. Um, I could have seen there being a number of seats. Well, it, it, because of the nature of it, you could go on making them forever, couldn't you? They are lost in space. Yeah. Um, so th- this could go on forever. It was quite a big cast. Gary Oldman, William Hurt, Matt LeBlanc in his first big film and his last big film. <laughs> Mimi Rogers, Heather Graham. You know, th- th- these were big names. And yeah. Uh, it went nowhere. Uh, it didn't have any of the fun about it. It, it wasn't silly. It went back on the serious angle. Yeah. Um, and I think if you were in some way emotionally attached to the fun side of it, then maybe it would have really annoyed you. And I, I kind of understand that. But as a, f- a standalone film, I, I never had a problem with it. It was kind of okay. It was certainly more interesting than the damn TV show. Yeah, yeah, and and you know the the uh, <laughs> I remember really getting a kick out of you know we'd seen all the promotional materials and we'd seen the new Jupiter two and it was you know that kind of streamlined but bubbly sort of saucer and then when the when they they show the the launch vehicle and it's it looks like the old original Jupiter two and I was like what and then it launched and then once they left the atmosphere it broke away and the and the new ship came out and I was like that was a nice touch. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's what I liked the most about it was all the little nods to the original show because at the time, you know, the internet hadn't come along, and so uh, you know we hadn't really rewatched the show. No, um, I, I, I do you know what it's occurred to me as well that I think the makers of the TV show were. Y- you see, we live in this world of I can go back and watch last week's. I can watch the series all in one go if I want. And mm-hmm. when this was made, if you didn't see last week's, you were never going to see it. That, yeah. that was it. Um, and so I think they get away with a lot because you can't remember what they've done before. And if they do a bad one, maybe you've forgotten it by next week. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, Kennedy kind of pointed that out uh, in the early days of the Starbase when he, we were talking about Star Trek. And, and uh, I think we were talking about the Gorn and, and how cheesy the Gorn suit was. And he's like, you know, this was made to be watched on, you know, maybe a little 15, 16 inch screen. Uh, if you were lucky, it would be in color. The The resolution was not very good. And it was aired once, maybe twice, when, if you caught the summer rerun. And that was it. Nobody was going to see this shit again. And I know that, uh, you know, jumping ahead a, a few decades, um, I think I was able to enjoy the new Battlestar Galactica series, a lot more having watched it as it aired than people who, who uh, you know, got the DVDs and watch it in one go. I think there's, there's that, you know, that week of forgetting that builds up a lot of forgiveness. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think you're right. And, and they, got, they took full advantage of that with Lost in Space. Yeah. Not that they knew they were doing that, but... Uh, of course. But they, they needed to. Otherwise, it was going nowhere. 
Yeah. Not not that it... I mean, th- this is another... Like Star Trek, we, we're talking about a show 50 years after it was on, and it ran for three seasons. That was it. Mm-hmm. How huge could it have been at the time, running for three seasons? It was actually a bigger hit than Star Trek ever was, which... Uh kind of frightens me a little bit but you know again we have to think about the historical context at the time science fiction when we're not talking about stuff like the twilight zone was buck rogers and you know captain video and you know maybe something as highbrow as the adventures of superman uh you know and i i hesitate to use the word highbrow but for the time you know lost in space was quite advanced visually and and I, it's it's a shame when you think about what it could have been, uh, you know, with the with the cast they had and with the support they had. Uh, you know, I I I've not seen in any of my research that Lost in Space had to suffer any of the struggles that Star Trek did, and you know they had no excuse for being as crappy as they were, and yet they still got three seasons. Star Trek worked their ass off for three seasons against you know a constant diminishing returns uh and yet they still managed to put out mostly good stuff and even you know i would say the worst episode of star trek is still better than the best episode of lost in space oh yeah without a doubt i i see here that they were going to remake it in 2003 uh but that didn't take off there is now talk of them remaking it again uh where did i find that hang on that was on a link on IMDb. Let me see. I should have bookmarked that damn page. Uh, where did I find it? Trivia? No. I might never find that again. Ignore that. Um, <laughs> well, that you know, it, it's it's kind of like the last Starfighter in that there's perpetually somebody wanting to remake it, and it's just a matter of getting studios interested. Someone trying to remake the last Starfighter? That should be illegal. Leave that, that one where it is. No, I think that's, you know, of all of the reboots of shit that should never be rebooted because they're already perfect, I think The Last Starfighter would, you know, if nothing else, take the original and redo all the CGI effects so they don't look so, look so shit. But I would love to see a modern reboot of The Last Starfighter. I think, I don't understand why that movie wasn't a bigger hit. Um, you know, it's every nerd's fantasy. It's the geek wet dream, and it's been ignored by Hollywood. And I just, I just don't get it. This is a blog post from Deadline.com, dated the 9th of October this year. Okay. Uh, The Robinsons are heading back to outer space. I've learned that Legendary TV has put in development Lost in Space, a remake of sci-fi master Owen Allen's 1965 cult classic. Uh, Feature writers Matt Zazama. I have trouble with names. And Burke (laughs) Sharples, who penned Dracula Untold. Uh, have signed on to write the adaptation. The two will ex- uh, executive, executive produce with Kevin Burns of Synthesis Entertainment, who holds the rights to the original series through Space Prods, Inc., which is... Ex- uh, right, oh, that's all useless information. But there you go. It's It might happen again. Hmm. Uh, but... Now, Dracula it, Untold kind of... I don't think it made it through its first season. Wasn't that a, a movie? Um, I thought it was, wasn't that the, the recent Dracula series? Oh, I don't know. I thought it was a movie. Let's find out. Consult the Oracle. I bet you beat me to it. Because they said, uh, said on that article, Dracula Untold opens tonight. 
Oh, you're right. It is a movie. Oh, it's playing now. Oh, it's that. Ew. Oh. Okay. Oh, what is it? What is, I, I don't it, know. It. It's the new Dracula movie that's supposed to be like this really awesome modern retelling, but it looks almost exactly like uh, the, the Gary Oldman Dracula right down to the stupid plastic red armor. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, I've heard nothing good about this film. Mm, I'm just looking um, over the cast. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Dominic yeah, Cooper. It, mm. Apparently it, it tries to make Dracula out to be a sympathetic character, and which is just, that's not the point of Dracula. <laughs> no, he's supposed to be a scary monster. Yeah. Oh, that Dominic Cooper. All right, okay. I see. Well, yeah. It'll be on Netflix. I might watch it at some point. Yeah, maybe by next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of the movie you've waited years to see, or a year and two weeks if you want to rent it. <laughs> so, do you know the uh, the connection between Forbidden Planet and Lost in Space? It's got to be the robots. It is the robots. The guy that designed Robbie is the same guy who designed the robot. Should I have seen Forbidden Planet? You haven't? No. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Watch it tonight when we're done. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it is, it, yeah. Because you will see the seeds of so many of the things we love now in that, in that movie. Okay. I'll, I'll give this a watch. I knew it had Les, uh, Leslie Nielsen in. Yep, back back when he was still a dramatic actor. That was that's what everybody says. I think that's why I'd been shown this film at all. It was kind of lucky he wasn't always Lieutenant Frank Drebin. No. He was. <laughs> he was, come on. And then no, that's why he was in airplane, because he was a serious actor to put in a serious film. Yeah. Um and I think it was that that sort of broke him for want of a breath of phrase. <laughs> Well, it it gave him a new a new uh, a new career basically, and uh, and he just ran with it. I you know, I I cannot fault him for that. No, um, God, no, no. And and if he ha- if he hadn't gone with it, there's so much good stuff we'd never have gotten. I I was watching the Naked Gun movie just the other night, and it is still mm-hmm. hilarious. When he's when he's in the office with the pen, the unbreakable pen. And Khan's there saying, the only thing that can break this pen is water as it flings off into the fish tank. And it's, <laughs> it, it's, that will always be funny. You know, I, I need to rewatch it because I haven't seen it till it came, since it came out, but I remember really enjoying Dracula Dead and Loving. Now, funny again, you should mention that because there's just, they've just released on Netflix a Mel Brooks documentary slash interview sort of thing that I was watching and, it, it caused me to go back and revisit a lot of Mel Brooks stuff because the man's a comic genius. Oh, hell yeah. And, and, and you can easily forget that, I think. Uh, so I was watching, I, I've actually watched, uh, Blazing Saddles three times this week because it's a perfect <laughs> film. It, 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 it's just a perfect film. Um, and I can't quote it because it's all racist slurs, uh, <laughs> but it, but it's, it's hilarious. And and many of, of the Mel Brooks films, are, are, I think, are brilliant. But Dracula Dead and Loving It, I kind of remember being awful. That's not to you know, say that it wasn't... No, it was. It was It was really bad, but I, for some reason, it tickled my funny bone. Um, I, I will not, in, you know, I will not say it was a good movie. Uh, I think Mel Brooks's last really good movie was Spaceballs. 
and he probably should have just hung it up then um because there were there were enough duds in space balls that it just it just it, it, ah man i picked up robin hood men in tights for five dollars in the we can't give this shit away bin at walmart a few years back yeah thinking i had scored no and then i watched it and i loved it when it came out but i was also 20 something um and it just does not does not hold up um, no I, I i didn't think it would it i again that was another one i don't remember being all that good i i enjoyed life stinks uh space balls uh Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, The Producers is a classic. Yeah. Uh, silent movie, not so much a fan of. Uh, but, you know, actually, I, I, having watched that documentary about him the other day, I, I forgive him that one as well. Um, well, he's got a hell of a history, too. He was like a spy in World War II or something, or, or a commando. I mean, he was, he was a badass. Yeah. And, a, and just an a, a absolute genius. Um, you know, if, if I know we're kind of way off here, but go and watch yeah. some Mel Brooks films. Seriously. Yeah. If you, history of the world part one, it, you know, it, it just, some of the most classic Mel Brooks stuff ever comes from that movie. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and part of it, well, did you know, okay. Now I think that in my opinion, my, my favorite and, and uh, is, is uh, young Frankenstein. I think it just barely edges out blazing saddles as being a perfecter film. Um, I think there's there's a couple of jokes in Blazing Saddles that don't quite work. I don't think there's a single line in Young Frankenstein that doesn't work. Um, but uh, did you know that Gene Wilder wrote that movie? I th- oh, I'm not shocked by that. I wonder if that was in my head somewhere. And my favorite story about it is that uh, Brooks made Wilder pitch it for about two and a half hours kept kind of pretending like he wasn't going to do it uh when he he loved the concept from the get-go but he wanted to make sure that wilder was as committed to it as he thought he was wow i I didn't know that yeah and and you know you watch wilder's performance in it and it's just it is sheer genius there 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 is not a there is not a dud line in that entire film you know you know maybe we should well, did did, Rex, did Brooks do any TV? Um, only I, I like that he, he was responsible for Get Smart. Uh, oh, that would fall that would fall under our ballywick quite well. Would, Have would you ever it? seen any of it? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Get Smart. Okay. And the movie. I actually enjoyed the movie. So did I. I didn't it, expect to. It was. Um, uh, Look, the the Get Smart movie, I think you can be as high and mighty as you like about films, but it was an hour and a half of Steve Carell being silly, and there yeah. was Anne Hathaway. <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah. The, there's no problem there, really. It's not the Godfather, but that doesn't mean <laughs> it, it's worthless and has no merit. It's an entertaining hour and a half. And yeah. to be honest, they had me in the first ten minutes when The Rock staples that piece of paper to that guy's head. That was hilarious. <laughs> So I, I was okay with the Get Smart movie, uh, but yeah, see what you're saying. I think I think you're right that that uh, Young Frankenstein just edges out Blazing Saddles. Yeah, but not it, not by much, yeah, just a little bit. It, it is, and only just. But yeah, you're right. There's nothing that doesn't work in that film, and there's nothing that stops being funny at any point. Yeah, 
Well, and that was that was Brooks's genius too. Was his casting, you know, you know, Madeline Kahn and and Gene Wilder and um, oh, Igor, what's oh, Marty Feldman? Marty Feldman, thank you. Who is in um, turn responsible for a lot of brilliant comedy over here as well? So lots of radio era stuff, round the horn in particular. Hmm. Okay. Which, if you've never heard, no. and why would you have? Um, it's, I I actually want to send you some of that because it's, it's very important stuff and it would actually, do you know what? You'd hear it and you'd think, oh, that's where Rich got that. Oh, okay. It's one of those things. Maybe if I'd never heard round the horn, I would be entirely different. I Hmm. in fact, no, I can say that with some certainty. If I'd never heard that, it would, it greatly influences, uh, how I am on, on audio shows. If if I could only be as funny as that, then well, I'd be so rich. But um, you know, such is life. Yeah. Kind of like kind of like me with the uh, with Monty Python, I suppose. Yeah, they completely revolutionized the what? Well, not so much revolutionized, but really set what I think is funny. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's really class stuff. Really good stuff. There are a couple of things where you think you could not do that today. Oh my god, you couldn't have that character. <laughs> Thank God you wrote this in 1954. Um, but other than that, it, it's it's genius. Anyway, do you remember Lost in Space? I was going to say something that's not genius. <laughs> it's it's kind of sad that the most positive things we have to say have absolutely no connection to Lost in Space whatsoever. Um, you know, it it's. I I think that some folks could probably still enjoy it. I would love to, you know if somebody did a reboot of it. I would not do the, uh, you know, oh, Christ kind of thing. I'd, I'd be like, all right, go for it. If you can, because the, the original is so crappy, it, you know, how bad could a remake be? Um, you know, the concept is, is sound enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a family that are in space and, and they get lost. Okay. You know, what, go for it. What the hell? Um, I'd, I'd watch, you know, unless it sucked again and then I'd stop watching. Yeah, I'd give it a go, definitely. I mean, it is the Swiss Family Robinson in space. Yeah. <laughs> um, in space! And um, so it's going to be fine. That's one of the tropes, by the way, on the TV Tropes website. Um, where is it? It's the, the Swiss the Family in space. Ro- yeah, recycled in space. Yeah. The, the yeah, they were pretty pretty shameless about things being space this and space that and... Yeah, I did notice that. Like, on Earth, you have a storm. If it happens on a planet that's not Earth, it's a cosmic storm. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's just a storm. You just happen to not be on Earth. That's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, go and look at, for, for listeners, tvtropes.org. Go and look up Lost in Space. <laughs> Here we go. Here's, here's yours, Rich. Explosive instrumentation. Yes. <laughs> Oh, so many things on this spaceship were just one button press away from total explosion, mm-hmm. weren't they? Oh, I've pressed the wrong button. Which button do I press? This one? Boom. Oh, it must be this one. Boom. Oh, you've pressed the explode and explode again buttons. <laughs> That's what the problem is. You thought you were just pressing off. No. Everything's rigged to blow. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, and I loved how how the explosions would always be between the panel and the camera, and the panel would be just fine once the smoke cleared. 
Yes, that's particularly <laughs> bad filmmaking, isn't it? <laughs> you see, it's stuff like that when I say that I think we could do it better. Like, I could do it better. Uh, yeah. It's stuff like that. I really could do that because I wouldn't do those awful camera effects and that sort of thing. Uh, well, again, I have to wonder if the makers of Star Trek were watching Lost in Space and going, we can't do that. We have to not do that. Well, there were just so many sort of avoidable bad things. Like the number of times you would see the wire coming out the back of the robot. Yeah. Like, just don't film the wire, guys. You, you I never noticed how many times the robot actually walked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't notice it until I read that it happened. And then I noticed it every time. Yeah. But, so when you had close-ups of the robot, the, the actor was just wearing the top half. So even though it was on rollers, it was walking along. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you can identify that immediately. Now, if you go and watch it, everyone, you'll, you'll, you'll not miss that. The McCoy. Is that what I think? Yes. That's where you... I'm not this, I'm that. Yeah. So I'm just reading through the tropes that they, they invented for this show. I, I love that some of them are still Star Trek tropes, even though this was made before Star Trek. Yeah. Like the Star Trek shake for explosions <laughs> yeah. and, and spaceship turbulence and that sort of thing. There's just so many of them. Everybody go and get lost in tvtropes.org for a good few hours. And, and you will. Uh, just go and look up your favorite TV shows. This is a good one. But I also recommend Star Trek The Next Generation and Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap did nearly every single TV trope throughout its five series. So it's, it's worth a look. They almost had to, though. They had so many different things they were doing. Yeah. Um, now that, that, that's a show we will, we will get to eventually. Oh, um, yeah. It's although yeah, I love the al- aliens are bastards. <laughs> it's an alien. It's he great... will kill us. Yeah. yeah. At least they got rid of that in Star Trek eventually. Yeah. Um. Well, shall we wrap this up? I, I think, I think we should. Uh, yeah, I think we've shit on this show enough. <laughs> Not that it doesn't deserve it, but uh, uh, I think that we will be moving on to things we like a lot better. Um. I think this just. This took us both up by surprise at how painful it was, and we were we were really really both looking forward to revisiting this show. And it just it it's just it's such garbage. It really um, is. You can't go home again, as they say. Yeah. It, it yeah. I. Mm. I mean the the aspects of it are so iconic. The 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 Jupiter two, the robot, Doctor Smith, and his alliterative insults to the robot. Uh, you know, Will Robinson. But, you know, I think that if this show had not come along at the time it did, it, we'd never be talking about it. I think it just, they, Irwin Allen got really lucky in coming up with this show right in that slot between schlocky 50s sci-fi and what was to come. And I, I, I know, you know, I've said all along, it was probably a stepping stone along the way, but I think this was more a what not to do kind of stepping stone. And I really think and hope that shows like Star Trek built off of that and went, okay, we're not going to go there. We're going to go here and do good stuff and do do meaningful stuff. Not every Star Trek episode was meaningful. Not every, you know, you know, there were certainly some crap, you know, and the children shall lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Spock's the, brain. 
Well, let, let's be honest. The crap episodes of Star Trek are generally referred to as season three. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, Lost in Space, it has a charm that if, if you're unfamiliar with it or if you, can, if you can just let the nostalgia wash over you, you might be able to enjoy. But just for, for the most part, it's most Saturday morning cartoons were better written than this show was. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Absolutely. I have nothing further to add. Yep, you've, me you've summed it up perfectly. <laughs> so if you want to email us with your views on Lost in Space, the email address is Rayguns and Gogo Boots at simply syndicated dot com. Uh I'd be interested to hear from anyone who still loves this show. And why they think that is, if you had a connection with it as a child, because I don't see adults coming to this and enjoying it. I just don't. Maybe let, if, let me let me ahead. add an asterisk to that. If you still love the show after rewatching it recently, mm. if your memory of it is from when you were eight and you're like, hey, that show was great, that's where we both were a week ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. pretty much. That was it. I just saw it there. Oh, Lost in Space. Yeah, we've got to do that. No, no, mm. no. Well, at least I can free up some hard drive space now. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm looking at it as. Really. Anyway. We should we should go and decide what we're going to do next and enjoy it more. Okay, I think there's a giant white floating ball in our future, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, yes, yes, I, th- I think that is, that's the case, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right, that's a new one on me. Yeah, so, me too. Uh, this should to be my shame. Yeah, this should be interesting then. Right, well, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with another show. Um, 